You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm glad that you are here. I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and my friends from across the country are here. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Hey, hey, friends. Down in a, I was going to say blurry, but I don't know if it's going to be blurry at the end, but down in uh, Sumter, South Carolina, we got Delmar Pete. Hey, y'all. Um, alone in the Andrew Larson studios, we got Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations, one and all. Welcome to my living room. And there's a chance Tim will be joining us, but he's not here. But, um, but you know, we hope he'll be here and he'll be with a shirt on. So, hey, uh, we got uh, two questions. He, he's from... been doing some pastoral care. I'm pretty sure he's got his shirt on. I hope so. <laughs> okay. He was at a, wasn't he at a Jags game last night? He, yeah. So, you know, he was, so, he was texting us, the, not the, but, you know, the very sad story of one of his elders who's got some serious health, health issues. And he was like, yeah, he was supposed to preach. And I'm like, yeah, but you still went to the Jags game. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to jump in and, uh, and take uh, and, and preach. No, he still went out of town. He's fine. Tim's fine, but I think he's going to have okay, his shirt good. on. Good, hopefully. Um, so we got two questions from Facebook. I I, uh, I keep forgetting. I'm dr- I'm drawing these questions from both our Facebook when people ask questions, and also this other Facebook that has the most off the wall Facebook group I've been the in. That Frank invites us to for clarity. Well, here's what Frank invites us to these groups to what end? Knows that sometimes we get frustrated with some of the discussions of like the ministry sphere in general, and so he invites us to Facebook groups that have like the, I don't know pastors with the median reading level of a of a middle schooler maybe, and it's like how do y'all? Someone in my church lost. They all got their this why, weekend. Why, hold on, why should, do you go we, southern, dude? I, don't, I, I take don't offense. Know. Listen, there's a there's <laughs> the accent there are, on a fence. There, I know, right? <laughs> there, there are dumb people all over the place, but all of their pastors are in this Facebook group. That is for sure. It is. Andrew, bad. Talk about no slander, we, Andrew. We just, I didn't just mention any Andrew. names. Like literally, just, just now. It's, Andrew, I'm repent. just saying. First off, I think Frank adds us to these groups Second so way. that we <laughs> Frank adds us to these groups. So that we will feel better about our Facebook group. That is the only reason why we are part of these groups. Because I do. If you're listening to this, I want you to know that right before the episode, I had a stern talking to with Andrew about not slandering people. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't listen. I didn't mention anyone specifically. Therefore, it's not slander. He just did thousands at one time. So there are questions on here that are from our Facebook group. And there's questions from another Facebook group that has a lot of anonymous posts. And they're very interesting questions. The education level is unknown to us. Andrew is assuming a lot. But let's start with this first question that I'm pretty confident comes from our group. Um, The question was, is the the apparent, quote, unquote, alleged apostasy of Andy Stanley now negate all the Stanleyites use of his materials, sermons, and other resources. Okay, so um, it, we, you know, this has been going on for probably over a month now, and like we haven't really talked about it. The, you know, Andy Stanley hosted a conference, spoke at a conference about that was um, a very LGBT-affirming leaning in it. 
Um, you know, he and his team has been kind of vague about what their church stands for in this situation. It seems like their church is stating they have a biblical stance on LGBT issues, but they're, they want to be deep and wide <laughs> of their, <laughs> uh, of their relationship with their people. I, I know he recently made a, a comment about trying to c- continue to draw circles. Um, ultimately, um, there's been a lot of conversation of whether or not Andy Slane has walked away, whether he's now a false teacher. But this question, I think, is rooted in a bigger question that is unfortunately way too common for us to deal with. A pastor um, somehow falls away, whether it's in apostasy, whether it's false teaching, or it's a moral failure. They have a number of books, resources, podcasts, you know, tools that we have and we use them now what do we do with them i think of all the books on the bookshelf right behind me that are by mark driscoll i think about andy stanley has a, a, books that were used in probably all of our bible college and seminaries in some degree or another um you know i think of ravi zechariah has a bunch of apologetic stuff i think of um james mcdonald pause has a though, bunch of books. because yeah, those are different i'm going to just say those are different categories ravi zacharias is confirmed horrendous sin. Mark Driscoll and Andy Stanley. I mean, Mark Driscoll, I don't like the guy. I don't follow the guy, whatever. But I don't think there's, there isn't any like, you know, blatant, horrendous taking advantage of, I mean, you know, buying stuff on the book list, questionable. That's not Ravi Zacharias level though. And I mean, that's in my denomination. But, 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 and Andy Stanley at this point is, kind of alleged or you know if you took the time to watch it maybe you have a different opinion whatever i'm just saying it's not the same category but we had this discussion we, i mean in the worship world we have this discussion a lot because you know yeah should we sing those songs i mean this yeah. is not a new discussion yeah, yeah. so i think it's a good discussion i just don't think it's a new one so we Andrew sang is a the biggest Steve Andy Stanley apologist so <laughs> it, we, we we sang a steve fee song on sunday which was yesterday and I was back at the computer because we were having some tech issues, and you know we have like the CCLI info kind of at the bottom of of the song at the beginning of it. And I mm-hmm. turned to the teenager running the the live stream. I was like, "Hey, this is Steve's fee song," and she was like, "What are you talking about?" And it just kind of made me smile because it was a song about grace from someone who has experienced a whole lot of grace, and you know, did, as Jeff was saying, in the worship world, do we? Do we ditch a song because we don't like the you know there's issues about Hillsong or Bethel all the time? I, I mean, I my know, basic this... response to this is the same response I have with the worship wars. We don't need any of these resources. Mm-hmm. Like, there's other resources in church history that you can just go to. So if you don't yep. like it, just go find a different one. It's not like but, Andy Stanley's the only person who's ever taught about preaching. But, or Hillsong's you know, the like, only one who's ever written good songs. Like, just go this find is a different one. The uh, the farewell Rob Bell tweet, you know, fifteen years later or whatever it is, and I, I think it's just kind of silliness. It's an echo chamber. The vast majority of people in our churches have no idea who any of these people are, and will not right. be affected by what resources you decide to use or don't decide to use. Um, and I, I might be the biggest no. Andy Stanley apologist uh, that there is. I I went to hey, Dallas Seminary. Hey, but your Seminary. congregation will care if you fall away. 
Yeah, they, they absolutely yeah. The congregation will. will care if you fall away, yeah. so don't do that. But also, so, I do think, you know, if you're somebody who's... Yeah, but if you're somebody who's quoted Andy Stanley behind the pulpit a lot and made him known to your church, you know, um, what do you do? What do you do with that? And like, you've turned them on to his podcast and his stuff. Like, like where where do you step in pastorally on that? I don't recommend podcasts or books or you know, very rarely. You, you might not have. Do I see that as my but like place. if you quote a past. But do you quote pastors in your sermon ever? I not typically some, by name. I'll I'll but, say one pastor or I might quote a pastor but 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 I'm I saying while well, I'm saying I go out is of my way to quote from a very wide cast net if I'm quoting somebody um I I yeah. go out of my way to make sure that I am uh including a quote from a person of color I go I try to find um female theologians to quote in my sermons just because I don't only want to be quoting from white men to a congregation that is diverse so I don't think there's statistically any... these these female theologians are less likely to have a moral failure or a theological failure. They're way less than, likely are uh, our, to... our male counterparts. And yeah, to answer them. the question, yeah. to answer the question, what I think I would do directly is uh, probably just have a, a very open conversation about that with people. Like, hey, you've heard me quote this person before. Uh, there's some alleged stuff going on, you know, Hey, you need some discernment. And I think if you're finding yourself in a situation as a pastor where you've kind of made people almost dependent on someone who has no connection with them in their life, I think that's probably a pastoral mistake. I I wouldn't recommend, and I'm not saying you're doing that or that you are saying you to do that. I'm just saying for me, that, that question is like it, it, I don't have a uh, framework for that because I don't typically do that in my my own ministry, I don't recommend names very much. But if I had given somebody, let, let's let's say it's Tim Keller, right? Something comes out, we oh my gosh. I've given a lot of his books away. Um, and what would I do then? I would probably just address that particular issue as it came up. Hey, in this particular realm, you need to understand this person has been found to be apostate or whatever. And so if you're now uncomfortable with reading Tim Keller, if that... If that really is a, you know, uh, on on a, uh, like a little one, if it's a burden on you, then, you know, just maybe don't read those books anymore. There's other other authors and other books that I can recommend to you, or we can talk through the issues together. I just think it's an opportunity for a conversation. But I can't imagine yeah. that. And I think a lot of times this ever. hits home. I don't, well, I think I'm a lot never, of times I'm not this take hit... three minutes out of my sermon to be like, hey, you know, six months ago yeah, I quoted not. this person. No, like if someone well, comes up to me and says... Hey, do you right. still like this person? That's a different thing than. Well, I think a lot of times I'm thinking more like nuanced, even more down than that. Like, say you took your elder board through a book and it was written by Andy Stanley. That I mean, that that kind of stuff happens, you know. So like, now you have to have. I mean, it's wise probably to have that congregation. I mean, that that conversation. And I know that a lot of congregants today, at least in our context, they do they stream lots of multiple pastors during the week just as they're riding to work and stuff. So I, I do think we're called to um, to we are we are called to disciple them, and if we see there, it doesn't have to be Annie Stanley, but you know, like when do you step in on that line and engage that conversation? When you see, hey, they're they're kind of listening to somebody who actively, um, like I said, you can remove Annie Stanley is is listening to unorthodox things and receiving them as orthodoxy. You know, I think well, I think that's part of the discussion, particularly with Andy Stanley, because um, you know, there's 
we have to each of us has to figure out what category of this alleged apostasy this goes in. Is this heretical teaching? Is this heterodoxical teaching? Is he teaching something that is going to lead people outside of historic Orthodox Christianity? And in my context, Andy Stanley is almost 100% irrelevant to my congregation. Um, to the glory of God. I don't read him. I mean, but so is John Piper. So is, you know, and I would glory say of to, God. Yeah. None of those guys are really very relevant to anybody in my congregation. So I just, I don't, it's like, I mean, I know I sound very cynical in our group chat, but I'm just like, who cares? Because it's like, doesn't affect my ministry or my people at all. I think if we have to agree with absolutely everything that somebody, every position that someone takes for us to use their resources, there's a whole lot of people that I need to be clearing my shelves of. Some of my closest friends have different positions on baptism than I do. And is is, is that an issue? Because I think that's a pretty serious issue in the New Testament. Um, I'm not going to remove any resources of people that practice paedo-baptism or whatever it may be, whatever the theological issue is. I think because the LGBTQ issues are such a divisive topic in our congregations that it becomes more magnified than it should be. Yeah. And, you know, it's... Are are we going to disqualify any pastor who has, you know, a a different stance on... You you fill in the issue. And if you just want to go with sexual sin, hey, this church is providing resources to single moms. How dare they? They're, you know, what what are they condoning? There's, There's all kinds of arguments that can be made. And... As a as a pastor, I can't imagine that's going to seep into my congregation at all because Jeff, as you said, it, it's irrelevant to the lives of my people. Um, and as a shepherd theologian, as as a pastor, I have a pretty good strainer for anybody's material that I use and that I use to study or that I use to equip my people with. So if one issue is going to change all that, then we're all in big trouble. Well, I'll 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 jump in on that a little bit because there's in my own personal ministry, there's two times I'll break fellowship with someone I'm partnered with, even a church that I'm serving in, and that's if they change the gospel, right? Number one, if they change what it means to be a follower of Christ, everything that goes in that, and second, if they redefine sin, because that's the nature of why Jesus came to die. So you know whether or not you believe there's a pre or post trib rapture, that's not a sin issue, but if you are you are saying something is not a sin that is a sin or vice versa, right? Because I grew up similar in the opposite where if you had guitars in your music, it was sinful. That's just as bad, right? That's, that's, that's redefining sin. So I, I do. I, I, that's where I draw my distinction. If a pastor is redefining what is sin, then I, I don't have – I try not to have any fellowship with that. And that, I will say um, not in a congregational level, but that's why the Andy saying thing is really – with me on a personal level, because, you know, like a lot of y'all, he did have influence on me. I know I went to Charleston Southern for undergrad and even in grad school, we had to read Andy Stanley books, you know, and, and Driscoll books. So for me, it's more of like a internal thing, but I do, I, I will, I don't quote guys who I think or girls who are redefining what sin is. I think that's grievous enough that I, that I will split hairs over that. There, um, I think this Andy Stanley thing is so, like, muddied and, like, wishy-washy. And what I mean by that is, like, what he is saying about what he believes in this issue 
and what like the church is saying is so not clear that like I'm just like I'm just like like what Jeff says like it doesn't necessarily affect me. I think this is a big issue in Atlanta, right? Like I think honestly, like- the the, the uh, like resistance to be clear is more of an issue for me with a pastor than actually yes. the, the thing itself. The yeah, guy who I, wrote I, Communicating I am, for Change. Right. I am more <laughs> like, hey, if this person – if you don't clearly understand what they're teaching, you don't need to listen to them. Just find another person that's a good preacher. Yeah. And, I mean, like, I I guess my issue is, like, I always I, – I've been saying this since I've read Communicating for a Change is that I don't think I've ever been, like, in love with Andy Stanley's, like, theology or, like – like his like stuff i think he's a great communicator i would say that in the same vein as i would talk about rob bell back in the day it's like i disagree with rob bell's theology back in the day what do you mean he's still a great communicator he's just saying wild stuff that's what i'm saying it's like as a communicator yeah he is always crushed and i'm just like i'm like and i think like to me like there's this i think there's this tension where like Del, I what I what I'm hearing from you is there's a sense of like I want to protect my people from where my people are not able to necessarily discern what they should and shouldn't you know partake in, and I and I get that sentiment because I understand like I can see the young believers in my my church, and like I want to be like, hey, here's an approved list of people to listen to. Here's a, here's a not approved list, and and I'm not even saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that that probably comes from a really good heart of not letting your people stumble into some place to fall away. For me, like, I agree. Andy Stanley is not a thing that any of my people have ever talked to me about. Might be a couple people who are, like, transplants from Atlanta, but, like, I personally have only gleaned from Andy from the extent of, like, I know North Point worship, and I have friends who serve on that worship team, and that's kind of, like, the full extent of it. Um, but, like, um, oh, and like the orange, like orange and orange and North Point are like somehow close to each other because of Reggie Joyner. But like even then, like orange is a curriculum. I don't think is that connected with North Point anymore. It's their own like kind of organization. So with that being said, what affected me more was the Driscoll situation and like the Hillsong situation because we sing a lot of Hillsong songs, and and people were like, how are we singing Hillsong songs when this is happening in New York when that's happening in Australia? How are we, you know, like, you know, I like, I still think Doctrines, the book that Driscoll wrote, is one of the best layman books on systematic theology that I could have handed somebody. And I've handed that book to a bunch of people. That that he wrote. Whatever. Okay. (laughs) That Gary Gary Brashears wrote that Driscoll, like, added color commentary to, right? Like, I, all I'm saying is, is that, like, I, I... I want to call my people to a greater level of nuance of saying we are able like, okay, LGBT, like this understanding of like, if you want to, if you want to call it like mislabeling sin and redefining sin, like I get that. And like, I don't want to endorse or support something that's going to like actually lead people astray because we're like affirming sins and things like that. But like, I also think that we could categorize this in a thousand different places where we're talking about pastors that you respect that are like into Christian nationalism, pastors that we respect that are having like, um, you know, what was the word Andrew used to describe Driscoll? Um, Precocious or whatever? Pugnacious. And that's Jeff's word. I I was just saying (laughs) it to try to make Jeff laugh. Like, like we could dissect any any tribe that we want to talk about in Christianity and be like, 
look at these things that are rough about them. And like what I, what I hope is that we can like nuance this out and be like, you know what? I can still read communication for change because there are principles in that book about speaking and communicating that I can still draw from without at all dealing with with uh, with Andrew with, with Andy Stanley's like theology. In the same way how like um, you know Driscoll's uh, conversation about and this is going to be very nuanced. I don't have time to talk about this, but like the way Driscoll talked about manhood in a community in Portland, in, in, in Seattle, where manhood was dying and all. Like, there's something to talk about there that I think we should be able to draw from it. But like, I, I don't know. I, I think I want to call people to a greater amount of nuance. You are sounding so much like Solomon right now. I think if if this probably goes with this probably goes with where Dell is, but if you as a pastor see that someone or something is causing your people to stumble, then yes, I think it's it's good to step into that and have conversations and disciple them in that. When you asked the question, Dale, I took it more as like, do you need to like initiate and address this from the pulpit or from the front? And I don't, for me, no, I don't need to because it's not an issue. But, you know, there may be people in my church who are wondering, having questions about this, and I would hope that we have the kind of relationship where they would come and ask me those kind of questions about, like, what do I think about this? Um, I mean, obviously, the younger you get in my congregation, the more issues around sexuality and gender are going to be, you know, top-tier things that they're they're wrestling with. The, I mean, my, the young adults in my church could care less about Calvinism, Arminianism. They just want to know what to do with their trans friends or their gay friends that they are trying to continue to be friends with. I mean— I, it I would not be too difficult for us to find a way to disqualify any and every pastor. You know, it's let's let's be real. Each and every one of us, if someone was looking through with a microscope, um, it wouldn't take them long to like, oop, here's this sin that's going to upset this group of people that's going to say that they shouldn't be serving. Here's this, here's that, here's this thing that I think is disqualifying. And God uses imperfect people. And I think a lot of this Andy Stanley stuff is being blown out of proportion because – there's a whole lot of Christians that are kind of bigoted towards the LGBTQ community in such a way that, you know, they don't treat other people that have any other sexual sin the same way. They don't treat serial adulterers the same way. They don't treat people who have been married three or four times the same way. And yet it is a big red flag and a bowl in the China shop combined when it's the LGBTQ issue. And so I think all of this with Andy Stanley is being blown out of proportion because of what he is actually talking about. So I I am not clearing my bookshelf of Andy Stanley resources. I'm probably also like not sending anybody to that conference either. And you can do better. I may not you, clear my bookshelf can, of uh, yeah, I'm I'm not clearing my personal bookshelf, but you know our resource center at church had some by him and I clear we cleared that bookshelf. And that's fine. You know, and, and, yeah, and, and that's like yeah. and that's like that's, there's there's wisdom in that. I think like like I, I mean, I don't think we have any like. Uh, I mean, there used to be a bunch of Rob Bell books and a lot of student ministries, like libraries and stuff like that. Oh and yeah, like there was a lot of wisdom in taking those books out because I I've got a friend that, like, who got in big trouble for throwing away the whole Numa DVD series. Uh, like he just like went and like publicly trashed it, and the church had just spent however many thousands of dollars it was. Oh all no, that. he got in big trouble. Numa for that. was great though. <laughs> Numa <laughs> was so good. Problem. Numa was so good. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, used really the, uh, the the Mother's Day one where she's like on the bus. How like 
It was be- yeah, it was beautifully was- shot. It was it was just so good. And now you can yeah. find it all on YouTube, and there's PDFs yep. of all the discussion yeah. guides, so you can just get it for free without so, giving Rob Bell money. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Yep. Well, we're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Um, but I, I want to, I uh, before we transition to the next question, I want to play this clip. You guys have not, you may have already heard the clip, but I haven't sent you this clip. So I want you to. If it's to, baseball related, it's probably like a week and a half old. If it's, coming it's, not, it's not baseball related <laughs> at all. Um, but it's related to I just want you to tell me what you think of this sermon illustration, all right? Here we go. Okay. I, was that choppy for you guys? Super. Yes. But that sorry. is also the so only they, way I'm ever going to say father for the rest of my life. Father? Yeah, father? yeah. So, so, so basically this guy is saying, you know, <laughs> he kind of like breaks his illustration, but it's I love it so much. He's like, I, I don't know how you can get a dirty bird pluck its feathers, put it in oil, put it in a pressure cooker for six minutes, make a chicken sandwich. But I don't understand it, but I will partake in it. The thing is, it sounds like you understand exactly how this process works. Yeah, I was just saying, it <laughs> falls apart because it's totally understandable how we get Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Dude, I wish I'll, – I'll, I'll show the clip later so you can hear it with his actual pacing and rhythm. I love that. I saw, like, I saw old, that clip. That old timey Southern Baptist mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, it's all singy songy. Like I love it so much. Hey, but I, this is facts. You know that church has got a killer choir. Oh, hundred percent. They're crushing. And that's funny. And their cantatas like, are so good. <laughs> Top notch, dude. Their cantatas I, are as good as their pimento. You know, <laughs> top notch. I'm Ooh. sure I disagree with probably a number of stuff this guy stands for, but like. Not this clip. I love every second of it, and like, well, he should have used he should have used a better chicken, a fried chicken example. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah. How to make Popeyes or something? Chick Fil A yeah. is like third or fourth. It's as soon as he said fifteen year old in the back. Exactly where he was going. Mm-hmm. We all knew yeah. exactly where it was the second he said peanut oil. Thanks be to God. Hey, yeah, I say if it works for your congregation, go for it. There was nothing yeah. heretical in that. There was nothing really that no, wrong. Dude, that's- that's orthodox. I think it's kind of like it's not my style. I think it's kind of showy, and I thought the illustration kind of fell apart, but it was entertaining. <laughs> I wonder if he was eating Chick Fil A when he's writing his sermon. He's like, "This will work." He must have been. It's very this possible. Will, this will crush, bro. Yeah. Or he had chicken minis right before he walked out to preach, and he didn't think <laughs> it through. He just uh, was like, "Not oh, on Sunday morning, hey. my dude. Come on now." Oh. Now you you know who would crush you know who would crush that illustration chicken minis. Dude. Could you imagine Stephen Furtick taking that same illustration and dragging over one of his 15-minute altar calls? Like, he could he could easily do that. <laughs> the cheer and section would be all would on it. still have the T-shirts printed in the lobby by the time the sermon No slander. Yes. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> I'm not slandering. I'm saying that's He's being real. Let's that's go to Frank, Frank's idea. like, we didn't want it to go there. Uh, all right, sun stands question. still, baby. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> nice. Okay, so this is quite, in light of pastoral burnout, older generations tend to, tended to work sixty hours a week in ministry. Newer generations 
have read a mostly healthy spirituality and ruthless limitation for hurry. I love how petty that is. That's so funny. They've read two books and now are desiring to work a hard 40 hours a week. How do we balance working hard and setting an example but not being viewed as lazy? All right. Well, I'm going to push back on this, though, dude. Like, Let's go. The, the, what is it? The boomer pastors that I've worked with did things so inefficiently that it was ridiculous. Preach. And they all, like... I don't understand. Why do you need a secretary to send emails for you, dude? Just send your own emails. What are you doing? You know, I don't get it. I, I just, I don't get it. What were you doing for 60 hours a week? That's, I, I'm not throwing any person under the bus because I get in trouble for slander, apparently. But I, I know a pastor who I wish Tim was here to laugh with me, who was in his office from 8 until 6.30 or 7 every night and preached one sermon a week, no you know, midweek Bible study, no Sunday night service, and it was the most mediocre sermon ever. Um, it's like, what are you doing in there? I think what we need to do is we need to let our people know that our job is not geographically confined to the office, and that's where I think the, the church needs to change. We need to get the boomers that are still in our congregation, or and that's not fair just to boomers, but we need to let people know that, hey— uh, Office jobs, the immature do not boomers. Yeah, but but office jobs are, are office jobs. Ministry is not an office job, and so uh, also I can I'm not write... sacrificing my kids for this church. I'm yeah. just not. But also, I... you know, that boomer generation was connected to serving the generation before it. That's true. Like my like yeah. my grandfather, he's uh, 94, and he still expects his pastor to come sit on his porch once a week. Yeah. I mean, that's the word. So that the culture before it, that hardworking, make it through to depression culture said, you're going to work harder, pastor. You're going to serve us. You're going to pull this extra time sitting on our front porch. I think we've got like a multi-generational thing going on here. And I definitely absolutely. vibe what he's saying absolutely. in the sense absolutely. of like, yeah, yeah, like, like he is definitely trying to say, I want to show them that I'm working hard, but I'm not doing this 60. I feel you guys like leaving my family behind. You know, and I think one of the things is how do we communicate to my papa? Hey, because I've had to run interference for his pastor before because his pastor is a bivocational guy. He's also a principal at a local school. And I have to tell my papa, listen, he's at school from nine to five today. It's not that he doesn't care because the, the pastor is a friend of mine. But some of this is just the expectations. And, you know, it is hard to draw boundaries, especially when people live their whole life with one expectation being met. You know, you're doing the 60 hour thing. Um, I think having it, your hands on your own calendar is really important in this. And especially, and I know we've said this is, this is a dead horse. When you're interviewing into your church, like that needs to yeah, be clear. That conversation. Gosh, so clear. Well, no, I, you said it's hard to draw boundaries and it is hard to draw boundaries, but guess what? Ministry's full of lots of hard stuff. So draw the boundaries. Or either you give into it. The first pastor I ever worked under was a, um, a boomer. He was an early boomer. I want to say, and he, and I, he would, he would never take a day off work and I would feel guilty not working because he oh, worked. Yeah. And I asked him one day, I said, why don't you take a day off? His answer is like the most horrible answer. Well, Satan doesn't take a day off work. Want to be and just like, like him. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought, I, man. I was I like, wow. What a lot of this comes down to is something that, you know, as I'm the old man of this group at, at 40, but as we kind of. Are Dang, being, man. I know, man. But as as we are seen as the spiritually mature people in our churches, as, as we should be as, as the pastors, um, you start to realize 
that there are people 20, 30, 40, 50 years older than you that are far less spiritually mature or far less spiritually understanding. And for me growing up in a household with parents who are actively participating in their own sanctification process, it is still weird for me to wrap my head around at sometimes like, oh, wait, this 80-year-old is genuinely concerned about this issue that for me was like a middle school, Sunday school type of question. But we need to realize that we're not called to only emulate what we've seen. We are called to disciple all the people in our church, and that includes the people who are spiritually mature, but also includes discipling those who are less mature. And sometimes just because someone's less mature does not mean that they are younger. That could mean that they are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, or whatever it is that we need to say, hey, here is what we're trying to do, and here's why we're trying to do it, and here's what it looks like. We need to communicate with them, but you need to go into those conversations and realize that just because someone's older than you does not mean that they're more spiritually mature than you are or as spiritually mature as you would like them to be. If I were to guess, based on the way he wrote the question, he's not the lead pastor. He's probably like the associate pastor who's sitting under a guy who is this older generation, and he he's trying to say how do we – balance working hard and setting an example but not being viewed as lazy and so maybe there's a there's well an or he is a boss younger, he's whatever. a lead pastor and he's got deacons or elders like sure on him for how come you're not in the office as much you know what you yeah. know probably what happens because it's like, because i'm more I, efficient than the guy before me was yeah you know there's there's pastors who get in trouble because they post pictures on their instagram with their families and enjoying like their kids and they're not posting the picture of their bible and their stu- you know logos bible software open and working in the office and you know there, it's this different mentality that like they pastors actually enjoy being with their families or at least want to be present with their families and 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 they're struggling with this i i mean i think jeff you kind of said it I, my posture is like Show the evidence by your work. If your sermons are are good and you're like doing your like, if things are lagging behind in your forty hours, then something's wrong. But like, if you are getting everything you need to get done in the forty hours that you are, you know, uh, blocking off in the in the work that you have, then like, ask them. You know, hey, you're asking me to work more, but can you tell me where is it that you're seeing me as lazy? Like, where is it? And and if they just straight up say it's like, well, we just expect you to be in the office more or whatever. It's like then then I think there's like a pastoral conversation of like expectations that need to be changed. And, and also, also like don't worry so much about what people think about you. Um, you know, the way he worded the, how do we balance working hard and setting an example but not being viewed as lazy? I mean, if people view me as lazy and I'm not lazy, I, I, some of that you're just going to have to deal with, that people are just going to view you. Yeah. But I also think, like you said, Frank, it's a mission and vision issue. It's an issue of—I mean, this goes all the way down to the gospel, right? It goes all the way down to, is this about them thinking you're earning something or that they feel like they need to earn something and so they're working so hard? I mean, a lot of people that I talk to have like a karma view mixed in. They have syncretism where they think, I have to do so much good stuff so that God will be pleased with me. And I think sometimes it spills out over onto people that are pastors— where they say, hey, I put money in the plate, so I expect you to be earning even more than me so that you can be the holy man that's between me and God. And it's like, that's just not how the gospel works at all, and that's now become a discipleship and teaching thing. Well, and to tie into your discipleship, this goes, you know, exegete your congregation and be proactive. You know, like, for example, one of the things that, that I did um, at my last church is we had, it was mostly, mostly boomers. So once a 
once every six weeks, every family's getting a handwritten card from me. It's just something about the pastor took the time to write me a card that communicates. I'm not sitting on my butt, but it's also love. And I know that's like super tangible and, and down on the ground, but like small things like that do communicate things. So instead of being reactionary, Hey, I do work, you know, I, I could just say, here's a card. I was thinking about you today. It takes, it takes what a minute and a half to write a card and mail it out. If you just, and what that communicates is a lot. Cause I would go in their houses and the cards on their refrigerator. Every time they open that door, they're like, pastor's out there praying for me. He's thinking about me. It took me two minutes, but I think it communicates a lot more. And I, I do say, and you know, it dispenses sounding like cliche, like a little bit of random acts of love does a lot in this area. I really think it does because I think a lot of times when they think you're not working hard enough, there's a felt need. I'm not being cared for by my pastor. So little random acts of love, I'd figure out how to do that. And maybe that would be my first step um, with trying to bend the curve on this church. That that note or even a text message, if it's maybe to someone who's a little bit younger, is the same thing as I like to drive by and see that my pastor's car is in the parking lot. You know, I like to drive by and see that he's in the office, a, a text message, an email, what, whatever it may be to, hey, praying for you. How can I pray for you this week? You you don't have to be in the office to do that, and I think in in some ways, as a society, we're we're realizing that the you know, uh, the the office culture is dying, and I think in a lot of churches that's been the case as well. But if you have congregants that were used to putting sixty or seventy hours a week in at their job to make a full time salary, they want to see their pastor putting in as much work as they did to make that full time salary. And I think the the other point is just in general, um, the the white collar workplace has shifted. There are people that are doing you know two days in the office, three days at home. What I go to the office because of Shirley. You guys you guys know Shirley, um, but I work with a lady who is in her eighties and she is there until one o'clock uh, Monday through Thursday, and she does not function in a hybrid work environment. We have an administrative assistant at the church, not for me, but for Shirley, who is our ministry facilitator. And so part of the way that I honor her and honor the church is that I make sure that I'm there in the office when they're there because it's the structure that we have. But I also know that there's a time coming when that won't be the case. And my cable guy's here. Sorry, guys. I was going to say, too, one other thing you can do is, you know, just talk about your week um, in sermons, in conversations with people. You can talk about, hey, this week I was studying or, hey, this week I was uh, doing this or that so that it's not like a secret what you do all week. Because I think a lot of people have no idea what we do all week. Um, and, and, and it's also if this is a young guy who asks this question and you're like struggling with this, just remember they're not like um, hours for dollars. That's like not what this is about. They hired you to exchange your leadership and your expertise in this particular area for being able to pay you so that you don't need to have another job uh, to bring in an income. My dad told me that when I was first getting into ministry. They're not paying you to do a job. They're paying you so you don't have to have a job. And that really helped shape how I view what I'm doing here. Um, and so, you know, I don't think you have to feel guilty. If the church is expecting you to do an amount of labor that would typically take you about 40 hours a week, then work that and just know that there, and, and this is another good thing to communicate to people. 
Like, help them remember that there are seasons of the year that are way more busy for us than other seasons. You know, summer is kind of a lull usually, but coming up right now, the fall, Christmas, into the spring, into Easter, is way more busy. And, um, you know, we don't get to say, I'm just going to sleep in this Sunday, or I'm not going to go to small group, or we have to go to those things because we are staff, and we love it, and that's what we dreamed about doing. You know, it's like good to sit back once in a while and go, I'm actually doing the thing that I thought I was called to do and wanted to do, and here I am. Um, and so I think that's really helpful to remember. They're not paying you to exchange hours for dollars. They're paying you for the expertise, the leadership experience you've brought to the table. That's what the hiring committee or the search committee saw in you and wanted you to to bring to their church. That's really good. Well, on that note, since the cable guy is here for Andrew, we're going we're gonna to bounce out. Um, we, again... Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. We have a Facebook group where you can ask these type of questions, and we would love to answer it for you. Um, follow um, What is the Campus Pastor podcast. Uh, still some great interviews. New episode came out today with an online campus pastor. So if, if a campus pastor is a very confusing position for Andrew, imagine what an online campus pastor is. That's just like a made-up thing that isn't that real. That guy I'm is just from saying... Riverside, which is where I, I lived as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. If, that that is a, if that is a real job that a pastor can have, then no congregant should be mad that their pastor's not behind a desk 60 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, listen to the episode. It's so Thanks good. for listening. Um, all right. And connect with okay. other pastors by joining the Practically job. Pastoring Facebook group. I'm just group. saying that like, yeah. the we world, get to share if, ideas if that is not evidence that, hey, the better. world has changed, I don't know what is. All right. Well, with that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Del Marpeet. I'm Andrew Larson. And Tim is somewhere. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.